IndyCar fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. This week's edition of Pit Pass Indy is jam-packed with interviews from three of the biggest names in the NTT IndyCar series. First up will be an in-depth conversation with the current points leader in IndyCar. It's 28-year-old Scott McLaughlin of Team Penske, who won the season-opening Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg on February 27th. McLaughlin nearly made it two wins in a row in the March 20 Expel 375 at Texas Motor Speedway before he was nipped at the checkered flag by Penske teammate Joseph Newgarden. McLaughlin already has 97 points in the NTT IndyCar Series standings. Teammate Will Power is second with 69. Defending champion Alex Pillow of Chip Ganassi Racing has 67. Newgarden has 65. And Chip Ganassi Racing's Marcus Erickson is fifth with 58. Graham Rahal will join us later in the show and we'll wrap up this week's edition of Pit Pass Indy with Renus VK of Ed Carpenter Racing. VK is an impressive seventh in the standings in his third season in IndyCar. Also, keeping with the theme of college basketball's Final Four, we're going to get their predictions of what to expect this weekend as the NCAA crowns its champion for 2022. First up is the points leader, Scott McLaughlin, who joined Pit Pass Indy to talk about his great start to the season. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy is the current leader of the NTT IndyCar Series standings. It's Scott McLaughlin of Team Penske. Scott, after the first two races of the 2022 season, there's only been one leader, and it's been you after both races. I'm sure that's a stat you want to keep going all the way to the end of the year. Yeah, that's, that's certainly the plan, Bruce. So, um, you know, we're working very hard to make sure that, um, you know, we can continue that. But at the same time, we know that it's going to be it's going to be a tough one. Um, it's going to be a tough, tough season as it's going to be for everyone. But I, I don't have no doubt that we can we can hold on. We can do our thing and, and, and make it happen. Second place in the standings is your teammate, Will Power. Uh, you have a 97 points after two races. He's got 69. In a lot of ways, it looks like whatever happened during the offseason at Team Penske must be working because it seems like they are back to their traditional form of running up front. What is the reason for that? Uh, oh, look, at the end of the day, um, you know, we, we've been working pretty pretty hard on, on you know, certain things uh, within the car and within the team. And, and uh, I think we all had an idea of where we wanted to go with the race car. Um, but it was, it was just getting there and, and making, making the call. And, and thankfully um, it's worked out so far, but at the end of the day, we've got a couple of tracks that we're coming to, like Barber and a few others where 
you know, I think we want to make sure that we're okay. Um, we're, we're not 100% of where we're going to be right now, but I think if we can come out of those races with, uh, you know, a decent run, that means we've run good on an overall street track and and um, and a road course. So basically the jury's out for me until Barber and, and we'll see what we've got. Before we get to Barber, though, it's the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach, which you got to run in last year for the first time in your career. Outside of the Indianapolis 500, I'll put that race up as the number two race on the schedule in terms of fan support, history, tradition, and just coolness. What was your thoughts on last year's Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach having competed in it for the first time? Oh, so for, it was basically still COVID at that time. And, um, you know, for sure that everyone was um, pretty excited with, you know, Long Beach being back on the cards and, and to be a part of that was really cool. Um, yeah, I'm super excited to see what it looks like, you know, with no COVID restrictions and, and um, vaccination sort of um, stuff stopping, you know, because some people obviously couldn't come last year due to their vaccination processes and a few other things. So super excited for, to see what it's all about. Um, it's definitely a race I'd like to win. It's a crown jewel um, of, of IndyCar and, and certainly I would love to be, you know, put my name, you know, on that track, but um, it's uh, it's certainly a uh, a cool cool race with a great vibe, and and can't wait to get back there. You started thirteenth, you finished eleventh, you completed all eighty five laps. How did you find the course? Was it difficult? Was it challenging? Uh, look, it's, it's a tough a tough track, but it's a, a track that I enjoy. Um, we were, I felt really strong there out of all the street circuits. I felt probably one of the, that was one of my strongest, but I just. Again, it was the same narrative. I didn't qualify well, so uh, I'm I'm looking to qualify well again, like I did at St. Pete, and put myself in a position to, um, you know, have a, have a good run, um, and we can you know, hopefully be there thereabouts. It seems one of the keys to your fast start this year is qualifying well, and how important has that been? How much emphasis did you put in qualifying well? Because you won the pole and the race at St. Pete. Uh, last race at Texas Motor Speedway, you started second and finished second, even though that was only by a matter of a few feet to your teammate, Joseph Newgarden. How valuable and how important is it for you to start up front to have this run of really good finishes? Uh, in in IndyCar right now, you've got to, you really have to get, you know, be up the front um, in some ways uh, and be, be uh, you know in a good spot before you get going. Like you can sometimes get a lucky yellow, which might help you if you qualified bad. But for the most part, you want to be out the front, controlling the race, and be on top of the strategy, not behind it. So um, nowadays in IndyCar, with how competitive it is, qualifying is everything, and um, we'll definitely need to make sure that we're up there. But at the same time, you know, Long Beach always throws up curveball races sometimes, and and with strategy and and weird yellows that can put everyone out of sync. So. I think we've just got to, you know, do our race, you know, focus on what we need to do to make sure that, we, like I said, qualify well, but at the same time be fast in the race to, you know, take take charge in certain situ- situations, and and hopefully it comes off all right. And so far in 2022, you've been Scotty the lap leader. There's been 348 laps of competition run, and you've led 235 laps. Yeah, that's that's a lot of laps to lead. I don't think there's anybody even really close to you in that. Yeah, I'm 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 happy with that stat. It's a good stat. Um, look, it's I think it certainly helps when you lead on an oval and, and as be as uh, commanding as we did. And I would have loved to have finished off that, um, but unfortunately we did it. But it's certainly a uh, 
you know, we are working very hard to, you know, continue that trend of being up the front and being, you know, close to, you know, the lead of the race and controlling the race. Um, I think I just put it down to just working well with my engineer, my new engineer, Ben Bretsman. He's a great guy and someone that, um, you know, it's been really good for me in my career right now and, and, and the position I'm in my career. And, and um, I'm excited to work with them further. I remember Texas in 2021, you finished second and I ran up to you on pit lane, to do a quick interview with you after you got out of the car. And it was in a lot of ways, second place so early in your IndyCar career, it was almost like happy days are here again. Well, last week got up to you after you finished second at Texas it was anything but that type of emotion. How I don't want to say it was a crushing defeat, yeah. but you certainly took it far differently the way Joseph was able to nip you at the checkered flag. So just how much more difficult was that finish for you? Yeah, look, I'm I'm a competitive competitive person, and uh, at the end of the day, you know you've got to beat your teammate. That that's just that's our job. Um, and I got beaten by my teammate, and but at the end of the day. Our motto in Penske, is, as you know, is when the team wins, we win. And, and I was like happy for everyone. We got a one-two and stuff. I guess I was just, I was annoyed with myself that I sort of let one slip there because I felt like we had really controlled um, the race the whole way through. So it's, you know, it was something that I'm, I've got to take a cop on the chin and I'm certainly over it now. Um, you know, it was something that I, I've been, you know, uh, working on looking at some you know, footage to figure out where I'm, you know, I need to be better next time. And, uh, you know, I think we, we know exactly what I needed, needed to do. And I'm glad to be learning these, having these issues leading the race and finishing second, then, you know, starting or being in 10th and losing again, going back to 11th. So that's, that's an exciting thing that we're learning this whilst leading races. Um, but it also is a gut wrenching thing when, you know, you don't quite get it right. Um, and you lose a race with, you know, that close with the dominating car like we had. So on the final lap, what did you see as being the key reason why he was able to make it work and you weren't able to hold him off? I guess I had a good enough car and, and time to probably experiment with different lines, um, different um, you know ways around the racetrack, and, and I, uh, I didn't quite do that in, in that race. So um, you know, I probably was just because that car was so stuck, it was so fast, I was just trying to do everything I could to basically just make sure I was, uh, you know, and, and as fast as I could and using it to the best of my ability. Um, but at the same time, probably not thinking about, hey, if I need to go in this uh, up higher in the, in the groove, how does my car react? And I think at the end of the day, I was just a little bit nervous to go any higher than I did. I, I had a lot of, my car was building quite tight. It was getting quite understeer in the middle of the corner. And and um, I just didn't have the confidence like he did to sweep around the outside on that, that middle middle groove. So, um, that was probably disappointing for me. Uh, I didn't experiment with it, but you know, like I said, that, that, that's a learning phase in my oval career. And thankfully, I've had a, a pretty good run on oval so far, and hopefully, we can have another good run at Indy in, in a month or so's time. Your teammate Will Power was very outspoken in trying to get a group of drivers to run that extra session to run up high to put more rubber down. In theory, probably made a lot of sense, but by being witnessing that extra practice session, how valuable was that? Because it really did give some drivers a lot of confidence to race up there, whereas previously that was fairly much no man's land, at least in an Indy car. Yeah, look, I think that was it was definitely a, a good thing for those guys to get the experience up there. But at the same time, IndyCar offered it to 
to us as well to, to run the session. So, look, I don't, um, I guess, have any hard feelings with the decision of not running it. I, I didn't think it was a, um, a smart thing with the car that we had to put our, our car at risk, and I was just happy to focus on the next practice session that we had. Um, but, yeah, they probably learned a couple of things. But, honestly, the, the way that the track changed throughout the race um, on Sunday, you know, by the end of the race, that groove was very, very different. But I guess the people that you saw up in that groove were the people that ran it more often than not the, the, the day before. So I guess it just gave him that confidence to run it. Um, but at the same time, you know, Joseph took that groove and he didn't, and, and he didn't run that, that session. And that's where I say I need to sort of probably focus on just experiment, experimenting a little bit with, you know, the, the oval, uh, the oval tracks and, and, jumping up in different lanes and whatnot. Was it a lot more fun to race at Texas Motor Speedway this year than it was last year? Yeah, I, look, I really enjoyed it. I thought that little stint where we were um, battling as a group and, and, and uh, you know, there was a bit of fuel saving going on, but there was a bit of cat and mouth, mouth and who would save and who didn't. And that, that was fun. I really enjoyed that. And being able to pass like that was really cool. So, no, I think um, like IndyCar found a pretty good sweet spot there with everything in the tyres and whatnot. So hopefully that bodes well for Indy and we have a really good race in Indy as well. But how disappointed were you that it was a beautiful day, 74 degrees, sunshine, early start, seemed to be perfect conditions for a race, and the crowd probably wasn't much more than 5,000 fans. I mean, it really makes you wonder what the future might be to – continue racing at Texas Motor Speedway, but you don't want to be out there risking yourself if uh, there's nobody in the stands to watch it. Yeah, look, I'm, that was that was unfortunate, I guess. Um, like, I, there's a lot of things that go into the promotion of the track and whatnot, and, you know, certainly on the, the Saturday when we had our autograph session, it felt like there was a ton of fans there, but obviously when it got into the big stands of Texas, like, things didn't look as good. Um but at the same time, you know, people just missed out on a great race and hopefully, you know, that mantra of Texas being a tough, you know, circuit for us all the past and a few other things going on, that hopefully that's sort of dwindled away a bit more. And if we do come back next year or whatever, if, uh, that, that sort of helps get a few more fans back and people come back and enjoy the race. But at the same time, I think the time of the race was maybe a little early. Um, I, I definitely prefer a night race, especially there. I think racing at prime time would be awesome. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that might be something that they could look into next year and potentially being, um, you know, later on, later on in the evening on Sunday or Saturday, you know, to, to really draw some crowd and maybe get a family out or whatnot. You finished 14th in the standings your rookie year, uh, beginning of the season, you said top 10, uh, championship finish, top five championship finish was your goals, but now that you're leading the championship, even though it's early, we've got a lot of races left to go. At what point do you revise those goals and say, hey, I'm in position here to win a championship. You don't know how often that's going to happen. You won a lot of titles as a supercars driver, but being an IndyCar, at what point do you, might you revise your goals and expectations for this season? Yeah, I guess. It's it's hard not to revise the goals now, you know, having won a race and whatnot, and you've got to win races to win championships and stuff. But um, you know, I know, like you said, it's early, and and I think once we get through Indy and and figure out sort of where we're positioned there after a double points race, then we can sort of figure out where we're at. But I guess I'm looking at it like I said to you before, we're fast on the street course, which is great. We're going to be 
hopefully fast, um, or we were fast on the oval, which is awesome, which hopefully means we're going to be fast at Indy. Um, so I guess the last thing for me is, is Barber. You know, are we going to be fast there? It was a track that we sort of, as a team, kind of struggled at last year. So, um, you know, if we can come out of Barber with a car that's not too bad, um, you know, it, it definitely puts a lot more confidence in me that, that we can, you know, definitely fight all the way to the end because we've been on three different disciplines and been there or about. So that's certainly something that I'm looking forward to seeing and seeing what our form's like. What was it about Barber that was so difficult? Oh, I guess for me, I, I, I was uh, I was my first race, so that that was probably the most difficult part. But I guess if you look at the, at the team results, I guess Will was on. Um, he was the fastest, and then Joseph had his crash and whatnot. And, um, we had a, but we also had a couple of test days there to be prepared, and we still weren't quite up to speed, I don't think, as a team. So we've definitely tried some different things um, towards the end of the year on different road courses that made us better. Obviously, Joseph winning at Ohio and all the team being pretty strong there. So I think, um, yeah, it will be interesting when we go back there with different philosophies and certainly where the cars are right now. On March the 3rd, IndyCar announced that they were going to delay the new 2.4-liter V6 engine with the hybrid assist from 2023 to 2024, you as a driver, what was your reaction to that? Uh, look, it's, you're always excited for something new, um, but you want it to be right. You want it to be, you know, you want the, the manufacturers to be comfortable, be on top of it, because as a driver, you want you want reliability and you don't want little things that, like that affecting your championship run. Um, so I guess I was looking at, you know the confidence of Chevy and 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 Honda, and if they were if they were happy to delay it, and if they they were they seemed happy to delay it, so you know you sort of just got to back those manufacturers in, and and um you know I think the right people are making the right decisions there, and, and if they think it's better to delay it a little bit just to make sure we've got our eyes dotted and our T's crossed, and you know that's that's the right call, and and I'll back them all the way. Monday and Tuesday of this week at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course, Chevy and Honda. Each had a car testing the new engine without the hybrid assist. When a manufacturer test like that's going on, how eager are you to learn some of the information and data that comes from what's really kind of a very secretive type test that the information gathered is for the manufacturers? Yeah, look, it's it's important and um, to, to get an idea. At the same time, you, as a driver, you want to be as prepared as you can be. For, for what's in the future, but we've got to remember that it's 2024 now till we run those. So also, you don't want to be overthinking something that's not current, um, but you sort of half want to be prepared. So in my own time, I'll definitely be in touch with you know some of the drivers and and and, and see what's going on back there, and especially the Chevy guys to figure out you know what it was like and what did the car sound like, what did it feel like. Um, but there's also you know at the same time there's you know a whole lot of things still to come for that car to to get it to that full specification. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to, to reach into it, but at the same time, I don't want to get too deep into it until you know, I'm done sort of with what I'm doing here. So you're from New Zealand. You gained a lot of your stardom in Australia. You moved to the United States. You live in North Carolina. Uh, you've basically adopted a lot of sports in the United States. Big NFL fan. You root for the Carolina Panthers and the New York Jets because your wife is – is from Queens, New York. 
But I got to ask you, it's the final four coming up this weekend. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much college basketball you watch, but if you live in North Carolina, you know that it's got to be a lot because it's on all the time. So what are Scotty McLaughlin's final four picks? (laughs) I didn't, you know what? I didn't do a bracket this year, Bruce, but um, uh, certainly I think I would have had Kentucky in there and a few other people that missed out, um, you know, especially when St. Peter's been on that crazy run there for a while. So I think it's going to be exciting. Obviously, UNC and Duke are still in it. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think Kansas are going to be pretty strong. So, yeah, I think for how many big teams got knocked out, I think they've got still got a very competitive, um, you know, looking uh, final sort of uh, final few teams. So I'm excited to watch. If I'm if I'm being honest, I'm probably going to cheer on the Tar Heels just because of North Carolina. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been enjoying watching March Madness. That's for sure. It's been it's good to see it back with crowds and whatever. It's been awesome. What do you think of the whole show when it comes to the college basketball tournament? I think college over here is just ridiculous. It's crazy. It's it's amazing. Um, you know, I've I've never in Australia we don't we don't broadcast you know college or high school games um, on TV. Like, it's just not a thing over here. It's a, it's a culture. It's a religion almost for some people, especially, you know, in North Carolina and South Carolina. So, um, I, I think it's phenomenal. Um, it's awesome to see how big these schools are and how serious they take it. Um, and then I think I really enjoy co- and why everyone enjoys it and why I enjoy it now and enjoy watching all the college basketball, football, whatever. It's because these people are playing for their careers and it's so awesome to see such good talent um, but like just playing hard, not worrying about injuries, just going crazy, and it's um, it's it's some really good, really really good games have been going on, and and, and football and basketball, and, and uh, yeah, I'm super excited for the final four. That's for sure. If you're picking North Carolina over Duke, that's going to put you at odds with your team PR rep David Hovis, <laughs> who even though he didn't yeah. attend Duke, he is a big Duke fan, so. How are you going to handle that one? Yeah, he won't let me watch the games with him. He doesn't let anyone watch the games with him because he gets mad, he thinks. So um, it was funny. We were in Vegas and we were watching uh, one of the Duke games earlier in March and he was um, he was getting all excited. So, uh, no, it's going to be interesting. I think I'll, I'll be in the bad books for a little bit. I'm sure I'll get plenty of interviews at, at times that I don't want to have them um, over the next week, especially if they lose. So uh, I'm interested to see how that goes. So you've picked North Carolina to win it all, so that means they beat Duke in the semis. Yeah. Who wins between Kansas and Villanova? I think Kansas. I think Kansas gets it done. I think they've been pretty strong. Villanova's all right, but I think Kansas will get it done. So Scott McLaughlin says, call your bookie, bank on it. It will be North Carolina over Kansas for the 2022 NCAA championship. Yep. Yep, uh, I don't take, I don't give refunds in case it doesn't work. So just make sure of that. <laughs> and not only that, but the house collects on all ties. Not that there's going to be a tie, but if I don't if, think if, if there's a point spread, the house wins on the point spread. Exactly. Anyway, there's a lot going on for uh, for Scotty McLaughlin. He's leading the NTT IndyCar Series points race as the series heads into Long Beach for the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. Good luck in that race. Good luck in the season. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate it, man. We'll be right back to Pit Pass Indy after this short break. (laughs) 
In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or for household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. Welcome back to Pit Pass Indy. Our second guest is Graham Rahal of Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing. The 33-year-old Rahal drove in his first IndyCar race when he was an 18-year-old regular competitor in the 2007 Champ Car Series. Rahal opened the 2022 season with a seventh-place finish at St. Petersburg. He drove one of the faster cars on the track at Texas Motor Speedway in the Expel 375. He even passed eventual race winner Scott McLaughlin to get back on the lead lap. But Ray Hall's charge forward came to an end on lap 128 when he crashed. Ray Hall's 22nd place finish has him 12th in the standings as the series heads to the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach on April 10. Ray Hall joined Pit Pass Indy for this exclusive interview. Joining us now on Pit Pass, Andy, is Graham Rahal of Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing. Graham, we're heading to the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach, and you as a Honda driver, that's always a big deal. I don't think it's, I think it's a big deal whether you're a Honda driver or Chevy driver or just a driver going to the race. That's one of IndyCar's greatest events. What is it about uh, that event that has been able to stand the test of time? Yeah, I mean, I think you know you're spot on. I think it's just a, it's a great a great race that's uh, gone on for a long, long, long time now. And you know, I think for a lot of the drivers, it means a lot to be able to go there and race. The, the history of it, you look at all the guys who have had success there in the past and things like that. I mean, you know, it's big time. It's that simple. It's big time. And uh, you know, so it's uh, it's great to be able to go and compete again. Um, you know, had some great results there in the past. Hoping we can have some more here uh, this this year. 
your memories of the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach go all the way back to when your father was racing back in the kart days, and even then it was had this major vibe to it. What do you recall going to those races when you were younger? Well, I think you're, you know, you just hit the nail on the head. It's a, you know, it's a big race. And, uh, I think a lot of people the, the atmosphere is always really good. Um, I think a lot of people in Southern California really embrace it as well, which, you know, I've told a bunch of people in over the last few months that that's, what's cool about it. Right. You know, you go to, you go to Southern California, there's so much to do, uh, that a lot of times, quite frankly, people in Southern California, I find aren't that passionate about anything because there's just so many different options. And, and yet this race, uh, actually kind of goes above and beyond that. I think people genuinely find a lot of passion and a lot of excitement, uh, every time long beach happens and comes to town. So, you know, that is definitely pretty cool. Um, you know, and like I said, you know, dad's been close a bunch there. I've been close a bunch there. So it's a place that we we'd certainly like to conquer if we can. When you think about it, that street race has, they've built two racetracks, two great super speedways since then. Ontario started in the late 60s, early 70s. It didn't make it through the end of uh, 1980. Fontana is still in existence, but IndyCar doesn't race there anymore. But yet, here's Long Beach and everybody, it's almost like the Rose Bowl of Southern California motorsports. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's right. Um, you know, I think that you know Long Beach has far exceeded the expectation, perhaps that was set when it was first open, uh, the first race, and I think it continues to do that. And it's like I just said, you know, in so many places in Southern California, there's all the things that there are to do. Racing, I suppose, isn't necessarily top of mind for the majority of these people, and so uh, you know that's why I think other tracks have struggled, um, to survive and thrive a little bit. Um, you know, I think Fontana's done a good job in recent times of, uh, you know, of, of reinventing the wheel, so to speak, and getting a good crowd out there and, and it was NASCAR, but it was IndyCar racing, you know, it was never that great. Um, I think that that's just the truth. And I think that that's carried over. You look at, uh, Man, you look, you go back to Riverside and many of these tracks, they lasted in the, the you know, 50s, 60s and so on, but they've all kind of disappeared in recent times. And uh, Long Beach continues to test that and, and, and push it forward. One of the great things about Long Beach is the fans don't really have much idle time. There's an event going on pretty much all three days you were there. And if that's not enough, there's an exposition center full of displays and everything else. Plus there's music, there's big concerts every night. It seems like that is the model that Iowa Speedway is going to use later in J- July for their double header with High V, one of your sponsors on the team, of course. Do you think that's one of the things missing that makes street races like Long Beach so popular and maybe some of the other oval races not so popular simply because there isn't a lot to do in between the practice and qualifying. Well, there's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. I've said that for a long time. I think ovals have to reinvent themselves in many ways because there isn't much going on most of the time. And so, you know, 
I definitely think ovals are susceptible, more susceptible to the coming, coming and goings of crowds and things like that. You know, I, I just do, um, you know, street races, there's always so much going on. Uh, and there's always so much energy that, that they kind of stand the test of time a little bit better, particularly if you get the buy-in from the cities. I mean, the city, the city is the majority of it. Um, sorry, obviously I've got a, a year and a half year old. So, uh, you're going to, you're going to hear some background noise, but, uh, I thought that it was, is, I thought that was a couple of IndyCar drivers there for a second. Yeah, no, yeah. it is. Yeah, it is nowadays. Uh, but no, the city support is so critical. Like you look at Baltimore, I mean, Baltimore had all the makings to be long beach, all of them, except one, it was a political mess and never had the support from, uh, the powers that be. I mean, I remember going to announce Baltimore and the mayor, uh, was so excited and how great is this going to be? And literally the next day she was in the media bashing the race and how bad this is going to be and disruptive and so on. And so it just, that, that, that dooms you, you know, whereas long beach, you know, they've always had great buy-in and I think it's really helped change that city. I mean, you go back many years, I mean, that was not a town you wanted to hang out in, you know, and it's, and it's so much better nowadays, which is cool. You mentioned coming close there a few times. One was 2013 when you were driving the Midas Big O Tires car uh, at Ray L. Letterman Lanigan. You started 11th and finished second. What do you remember about that particular race? Absolutely nothing, Bruce. I've been racing way too long to remember that particular one. I do remember finishing second, but I'm sad to say that's that's about it. But we've had a lot of other ones that have been, you know, very, very close. and, you know, I think that uh, even last year, you know, the end result uh, is not indicative of, of the of the pace and everything else that we that we had, quite frankly. And so uh, we ended up not, you know, finishing as well as we, we certainly would have would have liked. However, we were very competitive. Uh, we were very quick. Uh, I was at the, you know, at a point where I thought uh, our cars and everything else were really turning a corner. Um, and you know, here we are so quickly, right. Coming back there again. And, uh, and I feel, I feel good about it. I think, you know, I think that we're in a pretty good spot, uh, to do what I just said and go in there and battle hard. Two of those, uh, top finishes came within the last three races there in 2018, you were fifth and in 2019, you were fourth. Anything in particular about those races now that they're more recent that you can uh, yeah. recall? Well, no, it's just what I just said. Uh, you know, we, we've gotten extremely consistent there, I think, as a team. Um, you know, our competitiveness has vastly improved um, at that particular venue. And, uh, you know, obviously in those years were years that Alex, you know, dominated. However, I think there's a chink in the armor there, um, given last year. I feel like we're going to be in a little better of a, of a spot as compared to those guys. And, you know, I just think uh, th- those years we were very consistent, had good race cars, and, and didn't have the tire de- degradation that most guys did, um, which is kind of a staple of our team. And it gave us an opportunity in, that, in the end to, uh, to go out there and be ultra competitive. We just, you know, quite simply, we, we just need to do that and, and then some this year, I think, to, to find ourselves up front. Um, but hopefully we can do that. I mean, I, I, I do. I feel very, very good. I feel very confident. Uh, coming out of St. Petersburg, you know, we were okay. Uh, I would say generally strong, um, you know, maybe didn't maximize qualifying, but on race day, we were quite good. And, uh, and I, I, I expect 
uh, I expect that going forward here. There's only been two races of the 2022 season, so it's probably a little too early to maybe look at where your spot is in the standings. Currently, you're 12th, a little bit outside of the top 10. But of the two races to start the season, I guess you could say things really... You had a pretty good finish at St. Pete with seventh. Yeah. But Fort Worth, you were running fast until you had the crash on lap 128. So how would you categorize the start of the season for you? Yeah, I I mean, I, I don't know, Bruce. I, I feel like we're... I feel like we're okay. Um, you know, I didn't... I, I think as a team, we're not... We were, Obviously, Texas was a colossal failure of qualifying. Um, you know, but I, I think that we're in a quite a good spot. We've learned a lot post-Texas that I think will help us at Indy. I mean, just colossal failure. I don't know what else you want to say about that. But, um, you know, we, we we responded well in the race. And before the contact with Devlin, you know, to be to be honest with you, I was feeling good. I was I was the first guy to go to the high line in three and four and make some passes. I was working in the high line in one and two. We were getting that going pretty good. And then, you know, we were in a, we were poised to be in a good spot coming into the race. When you're in the top 10 there, you know, with half of the race left, it's all to play. And I had already passed, uh, McLaughlin, I passed him on track to unlap myself and left him. So it's not like we were worse than him, quite frankly, you know, Texas, a lot of times is a track position race. When you start 27th, what do you expect? Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you have got your hands full all day. And we went a lap down because we stayed out too long on the second, second stint. We got our lap back by passing McLaughlin. And, and, you know, and the guys had a great pit stop on the, well, I guess our third pit stop. And, um, and we were right back in, in the hunt. So that's all we can ask for. I mean, I feel like we're in a good spot. I know it doesn't look like it. A lot, a lot of people may not think it looks like it, but I feel like we're in a decent spot to be able to go out there and, and find and get some good results and put ourselves in a good position for the rest of the year. You were very vocal about going up there and trying the high line and wanting to have that extra practice session so that uh, cars could rubber in the track. You and Will Power both supported that idea. Were you a little disappointed that more drivers didn't decide to partake in that experiment? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I was extremely disappointed. Uh, there's a couple drivers out there who, who bark pretty loud. Uh, and I thought they should have been a part of it. Um, at the same time, I know my boy, old Al Rossi, uh, he would have done it. I, I guarantee you, but I, I, from what I'm told, Andretti told all their drivers, you're not doing it. Uh, which brings up another topic to me, which is just that, are we not, are we not all in this to better the sport or, or are we, um, you know, we understood the risk. We could crash a car. We understood the risk that, you know, maybe we miss final practice if something goes wrong, but RLL and myself are committed to, to improving the sport. RLL and my, myself are committed to going forward. And I was quite disappointed in Ganassi and I was quite disappointed in Andretti to not to not be a part of that dance. Um, I, I did not, I did not think that was okay in my opinion, but, uh, I don't set the rules. If it were me, it would have been mandatory for one car for every team. And, um, you know, we would have gone from there. Speaking of trying to better the sport, it didn't really appear that the track promoter at Texas motor speedway put <laughs> a lot of effort into trying to sell tickets. 
beautiful day, great race, great finish, lots of storylines, um, and the and the fans that were there seemed to really enjoy it. Unfortunately, it probably didn't look like there was more than five thousand people, if that, in the stands. Do you? What are your thoughts on Texas Motor Speedway? It's got so much history with IndyCar. Some great events have happened there for IndyCar, but yet recently it doesn't seem to be much in terms of trying to sell tickets for IndyCar. Well, and that's, I think you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. I think you and I in about a half hour could do more promotion than what they did in a whole year. Uh, you can't tell me that there was any better time to watch a race than a 74 degree midday on a Sunday, uh, light wind. I mean, a little bit of wind, but not bad. You know, th- those conditions, you can't get any better. You can't get any better. Um, but I've said for a long time, you know, we as a sport have to also make a de- decision and a determination to go to places that want us as badly as we want them. And as much as I hate to say it, and it may ruffle some feathers, I don't see Texas as that place anymore. You know, we, we kind of help put them on the map. Yeah, they raced in NASCAR before there, but IRL days were crazy races, even in my early days. And, Today, you know, you look at that 2016 race we won. Still, most people say that was the most exciting race they've ever seen, you know, the last 30 laps. But there's only so much we can do. There's only so much we can do. And if they don't want to match that passion, then there's nothing we can do. I talked to a lot of friends who lived in Dallas. They didn't even, they knew because of me, but they didn't see one sign, one post, one nothing. Nothing I can do about that. You know, I mean, we've got to just focus on going around and, and, and looking forward to the races ahead. But I certainly hope that in reflection, there are people who do take that quite seriously. What can IndyCar do to maintain at least a decent number of oval races if Texas isn't going to be one of them? Well, I say we go back to Kentucky. You know, it's been a topic of conversation for a while. They don't have much going on there. If any, it's a parking lot, last I heard. And, you know, I think that they would be quite passionate. And I also think that the fans in Indianapolis, you know, I I think sometimes it's not a bad thing to go away for a year or two and then come back. I think it reinvigorates people. Uh, And I think people on Indy would would respond quite well to Kentucky. So, you know, you got Kentucky, you've got the Milwaukee Mile, which is the best short oval, in my opinion, or one of the best racetracks in this country. Um, You know, but it needs love. It needs a lot of love. It's always needed love. Um, and so, you know, who knows what could happen there, but that, that's a great opportunity. It would be, you know, would be a, a tremendous place for us to, uh, to go play. But, um, you know, again, I, I just, uh, I think we have to sit back and, and, and see what presents itself to IndyCar. I think there's, you know, a lot of, uh, things at stake as far as just, you know, again, general opinions here, but, you know, a lot of the tracks, a lot of the oval tracks have been you know, made more suitable for, for the stock cars than they have been Indy cars over recent years. And understandably so they've pulled better crowds and, you know, in, in the early two thousands and stuff where it was, it was much more popular. We all know that and that's facts of life. And so a lot of that stuff was made to, to suit them. You know, I think uh, that makes it difficult for us to jump up and down and say that a lot of these ovals are going to be great or great shows for us. 
But one oval in particular, with the help of High V, is really making a, a big splash in July with a double header. That's Iowa Speedway. When you combine that, that's probably IndyCar's best short oval in terms of racing action with the entertainment aspect that's going to happen with mm-hmm. that track. That's got to be a home run no matter where you're playing. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, to me, that's the slam dunk of the century. And, uh, you know, I'm not just saying it because they're my sponsor, because I guarantee you every other driver in the series would say it if you ask them. I mean, hy is changing the game. They are changing the game of what it takes and what it should be to be an IndyCar sponsor. And Iowa is going to be killer. I mean, you look at that entertainment schedule for Iowa. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but it's better than Carb Day at Indy for sure. So, you know, to me, uh, I think that they're going to continue to push the needle and push the game forward. And I guarantee you, even even Indianapolis and, and IMS and, and, and Danker and all the boys at, uh, at Penske were probably shocked when they saw how awesome that's going to be. Um, lots of activity. Uh, and I, I just think people are going to eat it up, which would be great. Also, another short oval on the schedule seems to become a real hallmark for IndyCar is Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway ever since the Bomberito Automotive Group got involved there, Curtis Francois reviving the place. That seems to be a, another important stop for IndyCar. What do you think of the job that they do there? Uh, Curtis is a man, and Chris is a great dude. and um, You know, all the boys, you know, do... Declan, you know, all the guys, they do a great job there. And so, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I have nothing but great things to say. I also think that that's a race that's continued to get better. Um, the show itself. And I think it's only going to get better this year as we all figure it out. So I, I, I'm definitely excited to, uh, to go. And for the first time since 2019, it's going to be a full crowd at the Indianapolis 500. There was no crowd there in 2020 when the race was held in August instead of Memorial Day weekend because of COVID concerns or the state laws in Indiana at that time wouldn't allow a massive crowd. 137,000 people last year to see Elio Castroneves become a four-time winner of the Indy 500. Seemed like more than that on race day. I was like, quote, unquote. Yes. Quote, unquote, 137. <laughs> uh, but but I, go ahead. It's awesome, man. I know I, I I you know it's great to uh, and I love the ads. The back home again, you know, ads are are spot on. It's great. We can't wait to everybody have everybody back home again with us. And and um, you know the the Indy Five Hundred is is the world's greatest single day sporting event. But it is that way for a reason, and that's the, that's the people. Um, you know, we sure enjoy going out and putting on a great show. But I remember the year we finished third in 2020, and uh, to put on a great show for for oh I don't know you know the thousand sponsors or whatever that managed to get their way in that that's not what it's all about, and we all know that. So it's uh, certainly exciting to, uh, to to have everybody join us once again. And one of the great things about you is you're not only a big race fan, you're a big sports fan. And coming up this weekend is the NCAA Final Four. Can't let you go without getting Graham Rahal's final four picks. Oh, boy. Uh, you know, I have no clue, Bruce. You stumped me on this one. Because um, I must admit to you, I, I really don't watch that much college basketball. If Ohio State's in the game, you know, I'm paying attention. Coach Holtman's just a great guy. Um, 
you know, but I, I don't know, man. I, I guess that UNC Duke is pretty cool um, as a, as a semi, but I, 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 I did a list. He didn't even know that I existed. Uh, probably still doesn't, but I did a little thing with coach K a couple years ago. And uh, he really, in the event that I was at, you know, he really kind of just came out of his shell and was quite funny. Um, so uh, it'd be cool to see him go out on top. I know that if I'd asked you about the final four in college football, you would have all kinds of thoughts and opinions. Oh yeah. I could go all day, but let's not go there. Yeah. But your college football, 365 days a year, at some point during the every day of the year, you probably think college football and the Ohio state Buckeyes. I think a lot. Yes. There's no doubt about that. I think about it a lot. All right. Well, Graham Rahal, um, good luck the rest of the season. Good luck at the Acker Grand Prix of Long Beach. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Sounds good. Thanks, first. Our final guest is the 21-year-old Dutchman. It's Renus VK of Ed Carpenter Racing, who is off to a fine start to the 2022 season. VK started fourth and finished sixth in the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. At Texas Motor Speedway, VK started eighth and finished tenth. VK has led 18 laps so far this season. VK joins Pit Pass Indy to talk about his hopes for 2022 and how a fast start to the season can help him reach those goals. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy is Renus VK, driver of the number 21 Sonax Chevrolet at Ed Carpenter Racing. Renus, two races into the season, you're seventh in points. I guess in a lot of ways you'd have to look at that in a very positive way, that you're in the top ten in points with a chance to move into the top five beginning next week at the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. How has your season been so far? Yeah, I'm actually very happy with the season so far. Uh, we are definitely back at uh yeah the the competitive pace we had last year um at the beginning of the season and i think we're even better than that uh in texas we kind of uh yeah we just we were gonna run out of fuel at the end and we still made it and you know with things not going your way tenth it's still uh, still a great result and i think we can we have showed that we can battle in the front of, uh, of the pack now. And how much of that is really a confidence booster? Because your career began in 2020 at Texas Motor Speedway. Didn't get off to the best of starts, but you've taken those results every year, every race, and have built upon them. How important has that been to continue this forward momentum that you, you're on in your third season in IndyCar? Yeah, like it's, it's, it's good to be be better here in texas uh i just feel really confident right now and um yeah I, I had a lot of fun in texas and i think just having the pace and kind of coming back here and being fast is great and i think it also shows how much they're growing as a driver uh in in two full indycar seasons speaking of having fun in texas i know you loved uh, parading around in that black cowboy hat how did that begin yeah, so uh, I actually bought that cowboy hat in Nashville last year. And, uh, yeah, I thought Texas would be quite the place to wear the cowboy hat. So I uh, I also got some boots for the driver intros. And, yeah, thought I would uh, take the opportunity to make 
the outfit a little bit more complete this time. You know, back when A.J. Foyt got started, I believe he raced in cowboy boots a few times. Could you imagine wearing those things while inside a race car? Well, I can barely walk on them, so uh, it's it's a great accomplishment for him to, uh, to race on actual cowboy boots. Uh, cowboy boots, yeah. Earlier this year... Your team owner, Ed Carpenter, made the decision that he was going to turn the number 20 car over as a full-time effort. He would run a couple of races in a third car. Do you believe that that decision, knowing you're going to have Connor Daly as a full-time teammate at every race this year, is something that really helps benefit the whole organization? Uh, I think it definitely helps. I think um, Connor has some good good info he got at uh at carlin for the for the lfc drove there and i think yeah just with three drivers and all the limited practice there is just so much more info you can you can gather and uh yeah as long as it doesn't hurt uh any other entries from the team i think it's great to have the third car there so far this season, you have finished on the lead lap in both races. You finished all the laps, all 100 laps at St. Petersburg. You started fourth, finished sixth. At Texas, you started eighth, finished 10th, finished all 248 laps. Do you believe that's a real key to a championship run or at least contending for the championship is to be able to finish on the lead lap of every race? I think that's important. Uh, I think making sure you stay out of trouble and uh, making sure you nail everything outside of like everything on the pit sequences that really uh, gives you big opportunities. And I think, yeah, if you can keep those points coming and I think top fives are really what you need to, uh, to get a lot of points for, uh, for the championship. I think if you can do that, you're, you're going to be there to the end. Also in regard to that, how important is it to start up front in order to get those top fives? Because at St. Pete, you started fourth. Texas, you started eighth. The fourth place start really seemed to help you uh, with your finish. Scott McLaughlin, a second-year driver who currently is the IndyCar Series points leader heading into Long Beach, he's taken a, a different approach to he has to qualify better in order to finish better. Do you have that same mentality? Yes, I think so. I've always been very strong um, with my racecraft and I've always had a great time racing, but, uh, I always had to pass too many cars, um, to do well in the race. So I think, um, uh, yeah, definitely one of my focuses in the off season was to improve that, that, uh, qualifying pace and yeah, that, that perfect lap, uh, perfect lap. And I think I kind of nailed that twice so far. So, uh, yeah, pretty good start so far, and I can definitely feel that it helps. Now, as you head into Long Beach, last year's race, 28-car uh, field, you started 24th, finished 25th. You had a fuel pressure issue a little close to the 50-lap mark of the race. You completed 48 laps. What's your outlook and attitude going back to Long Beach? Because really, that was the first time in your career that you've had a chance to drive in that great prestigious event. Yes, of course. Uh, last year, Long Beach was, wasn't amazing. Um, we were actually having a great race, made our way up into the top 10 after uh, tough qualifying. And then we got a fuel, fuel issue or, a, uh, yeah, 
some issue on the car and uh yeah we were out of the race so that was uh not great but i think we can definitely uh, definitely learn from our pace there and what we can change and i think we have made very big changes to to make sure we are better there last year and it's, it's a great event how difficult of a race course is it because some drivers complain that it's hard to pass other drivers last year showed that you actually can pass. Where do you fall in that debate? Uh, I think you can pass in Long Beach. Um, it's it's a sketchy track to drive. It's quite high speed, and you know any any mistake really uh, puts you in the wall, basically. So I think, yeah, I think it's a great track, and I think you can pass. I think with with the help of the push to pass, it's definitely possible. What do you think of the vibe and atmosphere of that event? I think it's a great vibe and atmosphere. Um, it's a little different than the other uh, street courses, I think. It's more of a festival, um, you know, concerts, loud music everywhere. And you can really see that there's uh, big crowds from the West Coast and Mexico coming to those races. So I think, I think it's great that we're going there because it really targets those people that we don't really see uh, when we race, you know, over in the central U.S. or uh, or on the East Coast. Two races into the season, uh, Team Penske has the top two positions in the standing. Scott McLaughlin's the leader with 97 points. Will Power is second with 69 points. Do you think that the Team Penske drivers have woken up after a fairly lackluster season last year? I think, uh, yeah, I think. Penske definitely made the needed, uh, much needed improvements. And they're looking strong. Um, I think right now, well, the points show it. Uh, they are looking strongest. So uh, I think it's also promising for, for us Chevy teams, seeing how well they are doing. And, you know, of course, we are also, ECR is improving quite a bit since last season. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually very excited to see that. What are some of the changes that Chevrolet made during the off season that seems to have given them better pace this year? Um, well, we just compared to my previous off season, I just felt like I had to do um, more little tests and development things during testing, and even on simulator, I've I've spent um, a lot of many hours to go over stuff and try different different uh a lot of different stuff also to make the simulator better and more representative to the real thing have they found horsepower gains because it really seems like they they have a lot more horsepower this year or seem to do better with it than they did last year yeah i think uh, definitely on the street courses uh, the power um the power output is more more efficient than it was last year so i think uh, we can definitely put out that power better than than we were used to. So yeah, I think we we made the right changes there, and we knew that needed to be changed. Uh, so yeah, I like that Chevy is uh, is listening to what the drivers have to say and what the teams have to say. They're really keen to to improve with any kind of feedback you can give. And then looking at positions three through six, you've got the defending champion Alex Pelot is third with sixty seven points. Fourth is the Texas race winner, Joseph Newgarden, with 65. Fifth is Marcus Erickson with 58. And five points ahead of you with 55 points is Scott Dixon, and we all know how great a driver he is. 
So how tough is it going to be to crack into that uh, top five group, top six group of drivers? You know that you can do it, but what's it going to take to get up there? It's going to take trying to be as close to perfection every single lap out there uh, for the rest of the season. And even, even in pit lane, I think that's where, that's where the races and the battles are won or lost. That's our time to shine. And I think we can, we can do that. And times look like they, they are changing for IndyCar. So um, hopefully this will be the breakthrough year for all the, uh, the young guys. Speaking of young guys, you are tied with 50 points with Colton Herta. You get the position based on race finish. He is currently eighth in the standings. Are you surprised that Colton hasn't had a little bit better start of the year, or do you kind of see this more of the fact that you've raised your game to where you're on par with Colton Herta now? Um, I think I've definitely raised my game. Um, we're just only two races in, so the standings do not tell much of a story yet, but it definitely shows which teams are are doing well, which which are doing Less good, but uh, we are looking pretty good at it, and I think Colton will definitely have a great race where he's where he's going to fight for the win. And I think right now the top eight, all those drivers are going to have a race like that this season. So just uh, all matter, yeah, all depends on on how consistent people can be in the front. In ninth place is Simon Pagano. We know what a great champion and driver he is. Uh, tenth is Roman Grosjean at Andretti Autosport. There's a driver in 11th in the standings now, and we know that a lot of that was because of his finish at Texas when he finished sixth, but that's Jimmy Johnson. And how much does it really help the series that a Jimmy Johnson may only be two races into the season, but the fact that he's actually got the same amount of points as top 10, they both have 35 points, but that how important would it be to IndyCar to have a competitive Jimmy Johnson this season? I think it's going to be important to IndyCar. It's, uh, it's going to bring more and more NASCAR fans to IndyCar. And yeah, just like tracks like Texas where, where there's more NASCAR fans, I think that that's how you're going to make, uh, make full grandstands on these tracks. So uh, I think it's good for IndyCar. It's good for Jimmy too. I think uh, he definitely is looking for that result. Uh, very hard, and yeah, I'm uh, happy for him that he uh, that he finally got to show got to show his talent. So after the street race at Long Beach, one of the great races on the schedule, IndyCar is then off to the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama at Barber Motorsports Park. How much do you like that track, and how challenging is that race course? Um, I like Barber a lot. Um, I've had a good race there last year. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a big strategy track. It's not an easy track to pass, but, um, yeah, it's definitely a thrill to drive. And, um, the, that's definitely one of the most grippy tracks we're driving at. So it's, um, yeah, it's a cool track. I enjoy it there. And I think ECR has always built good bars, uh, good cars for Barber. Last year at Barber, you started 14th, finished six, very good finish after Barber, Everything shifts to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the rest of the month of May, beginning with the road course race, which you're the defending champion of that race. How important is that to go back into the speedway as a defending champion of that race 
And also, you have taken that race course as well as anybody. That course has to be your most successful and your favorite race course on the on the circuit. Why is that? Actually, um, I I'm not sure why why I'm I'm so fast in IndyCar on on Indy Road Course. I've always uh, struggled a little bit there in in the Road to Indy, and maybe those struggles uh, made for putting more work in and focusing more on on the driving and the track and focusing on my weaknesses. And I think maybe that gave me everything I needed to be faster in an IndyCar. So uh, definitely, definitely drove a lot of laps there. That, that also helps. Thanks to the road to Indy. Yeah. EGR built a great car there. You know, you cannot do it with a car that that's not good. So I think ECR should also get a lot of praise because they, uh, they built a great car. As you reflect back on that victory, what stands out the most? I think just moment, the moment crossing the line where, where I knew, you know, I got that win. Nothing could stop me again. And, uh, yeah, I, I just did it. That's, uh, that's the moment you're, you actually know you have won the race. And, you know, you cannot have a mechanical issue or, you cannot be passed anymore. You know, that's, that's when it's done. So uh, definitely a great feeling. And also we all know how big the Indianapolis 500 is. Uh, your two previous races there, you've qualified very well. That has to really be important for your finish. Last year, you qualified on the outside of the front row and you finished eighth. You left Indianapolis fifth in the standings. You actually got up to fourth in the standings after your second place finish in the First race of the Chevrolet Detroit doubleheader, the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix. When you look at that stretch of races, that's a very important time. For one thing, Indianapolis is a double points race. And as a driver, there's so much at stake there, not only winning the biggest race in the world, but if you have a bad finish, it's kind of like double the penalty because of the double point system. So how much does that add even more intrigue to the season? Yeah, I think it definitely helps to be fast there. That's also when all the races are super close. And if, if, if you're doing well to start off in May, you will bring a lot of great momentum uh, to the rest of, of all those races back-to-back. So it's important to do well. And, yeah, once, once you get in that flow of, of great results, you're, it's hard to get out of there. Also, IndyCar has an influx of drivers from relatively the same part of Europe, you're from the Netherlands. We've got two drivers from Sweden. This year, we have a rookie driver from Denmark, Christian Lundgaard. How cool is that to have drivers from that part of Europe all competing in IndyCar? And did you race against any of those drivers anywhere on your way up to IndyCar through the junior formulas? Um, yeah, I think it's great to have uh, to have those guys come over. And I think it's, it's also great for for the, the, the fans in Europe watching you know, IndyCar is doing more and more to make it easier to watch the races, changing the, the, changing the broadcast times just so people don't have to wake up at 2 a.m. to uh, watch a race. So I think that's definitely great, uh, definitely helps. And uh, I have raced against uh, Christian Lundgaard in, in Italy, in go-karts actually. So uh, we we were already familiar with each other there. And what type of career do you think he can have starting off with Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing? I can I think he can uh, have a great career. Uh, he's 
obviously had a great, great first race in um, in Indianapolis last year uh, during the Harvest GP or what is it, the second Indy GP of the year. I think it's uh, it's hard to be consistently fast in IndyCar, but uh, I think he's going to do well and definitely get the mindset. And of course, you now live in Indianapolis and. You know, this time of year, that's, that was a big town for basketball. It's college basketball. They had the Big Ten tournament there a couple of weeks ago. When everybody was at Texas, they had first and second round games of the NCAA tournament. You're one of the taller drivers in IndyCar. How much basketball do you get a chance to play? Or is it still really a kind of a foreign sport for you? Um, I actually never really play basketball. It, it is a foreign sport to me. But um, I actually really enjoy watching watching basketball in real life. Uh, I've, I've been at a few games so far, and I think it's one of the most fun sports to watch next to the court. Well, the Final Four is this weekend where they'll crown a uh, national champion in college basketball. What are Renus VK's picks for the Final Four? Oh, um, well, I think you asked the wrong person here because I'm really not following it. But um, well, you've got you've got Duke versus North Carolina in one semifinal, and the other will be Kansas versus Villanova. So just wing it and take a pick. Well, then I would say Kansas. I've got to Kansas. Didn't mean to put you on the spot there. I know that uh, in some that's probably there's probably some sports in the Netherlands that a lot of us Americans probably wouldn't understand and have put on the spot. Probably couldn't tell you. Who's who? But other than auto racing and obviously soccer, what are the big sports in the Netherlands? Uh, uh, definitely, uh, definitely soccer is a big one for for boys and for girls. I think it's field hockey. Field hockey is is a big sport there. Okay. Well, that's something that we probably didn't know about the Netherlands. Anyway, spring is coming, which means some great racing coming up, and we'll look forward to you being one of the drivers racing toward the front, not only in the spring, but for the rest of the season. Renus VK, driver of the number 21, Sonax Chevrolet at Ed Carpenter Racing. Good luck the rest of the season, and thank you for joining us on Pit Pass Indy. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And that puts a checkered flag on this edition of Pit Pass Indy. We want to thank our guest, NTT IndyCar Series points leader, Scott McLaughlin of Team Penske, Graham Rahal of Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing, and Renus VK of Ed Carpenter Racing for joining us on today's podcast. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guests help make Pit Pass Indy your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, one word, uppercase B, uppercase M, underscore 500. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin, and final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall.